Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a very special shout out to the reform members of Back to Ashes, Tavia S., Tina Mead, Cindy Cleveland, Patty's niece, Samantha Place, and Interscare Wifey. The rest of the membership is displayed right here on your screen. Thank you all so much for your support. If you like what you are hearing and would like to support a content creator, you can buy me a coffee. As well, if you'd like to become a member of Back to Ashes, all of that information can be found in the description below. With all that being said, it is time to go back to ashes, for when we are rise from the ashes, we are bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled, True Middle of Nowhere Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. Quick note, in case you hear cracks, booms, or loud thuds, please remember it is my neighbor setting off fireworks. I do apologize. Let's get started, shall we? This may sound crazy to you, but I'm telling you it's the truth. I found a crucified grizzly bear about 200 kilometers, 120 miles roughly, into the Canadian forest. Nowhere near towns or even roads, so I'm not entirely sure how they were able to lift such a big animal up a good up the tree considering the average weight of a male grizzly can get up to 600 kilograms, 1,320 pounds for the Americans, and this was definitely not an average size grizzly, although not the biggest I've seen either. By far the most, we should get the hell out of here moment I've ever felt. I realize that sounds hard to believe, especially given that it's the internet and people love to make huge claims and frankly, if I wasn't the one telling the story, I'd probably doubt it too, so feel free not to believe me. There's no hard feelings, if so. I lived on a large cattle station in New South West Australia until I was 16. A few years before we left, my dad and I were out looking for a few lost cattle in the back paddocks which back onto quite steep, rocky mountains. We were crossing a shallow creek when our horses started snorting and getting flighty. There was movement above us, up high in the trees. My horse started rearing, and just as Dad reached over to grab my reins to settle the horse down, something big and gray dropped from the trees, right between us. Our horses took off in opposite directions. It took all my strength to pull my horse up. Dad eventually came to me and was quite anxious about getting us away from there. I asked him, What's wrong? What was it? It was a rue, he said. It had been gutted and dead a while by the smell. He threw another look over his shoulder and got us moving a bit quicker. I heard him mutter to himself, How the hell did it get up that bloody tree? He never went out without a gun after that day. There's stories about big cats out in the Australian bush. It's the only explanation we could ever come up with.
A friend and I are hiking several miles to camp in the wilderness. It started raining with sleet. It's about 35 degrees and late afternoon. We are about 9 miles in. There are no connection trails near this trail. We see an older guy walking towards us on this specific trail. The first person we have seen since starting the hike. He's got zero equipment, soaking wet, and wearing tennis shoes, a t-shirt with blue jeans. He said in a slurred speech, It's beautiful out here, very quiet, and the colors. The closest town is backwoods and known for drugs and meth. My friend and I have a couple of thousand dollars worth of hiking and camping equipment on us. We get nervous talking to him and start walking away. He followed us 50 yards back for another three miles, and then we didn't see him again. We didn't get much sleep that night when we finally set up camp. As a younger child with uncaring parents, I'd explore outside a lot, living in a relatively rural area with no civilization for miles. Once, I had stumbled across an abandoned barn, which had burns all over it and a large hole in the roof, as if some large object had crashed straight through it. That's not even the weird part. There were pristine baby clothes without one wrinkle in them that were neatly folded around the entrance of the barn. I still, to this day, have no clue why those would be there, especially in an extremely unpopulated rural area. Could it be a homeless person? If so, why would they need baby clothes? To this day, I still find it definitely absurd. Some twenty-odd years ago, I was reconnected with a family member. Said family lived way up in the hills of North Carolina and had given me direction to his house. I was driving my vehicle and my sister was in hers, following behind. We each had CB radios so we could communicate on the way. We're driving and I look. What I thought was the correct road and the dirt road immediately climbed at a very steep incline. We slowly make our way up and around this road and it comes out to a dead end. At the dead end was an old rundown house with a huge front porch. On the porch was a plethora of things such as an old ironing board leaning against the window, crates of soda pop bottles, a few feed bags, etc. An older gentleman was sitting in a rocker and he had a long rifle sitting across his lap. To his left, who I assumed was his wife and she had one of those old-timey washtubs at her feet and she was washing clothes. Then, there were several barefoot and no-shirt kids running around. Well, they had stopped when we pulled up to the house. And there were, of course, several hound dogs laying around. Every one of them just stopped and was staring at us. I slowly rode down my window and said very politely, Excuse me, sir, I think we took a wrong turn. He slowly was rocking in his chair, both hands on the rifle, and just said one drawn-out word. Yep. I picked up the CB mic and told my sister, 
back up, back up now, back up. And we backed all the way back down to the highway. One of the most surreal things I've ever experienced. It was like we drove back in time or something else. Not L.E., but in Paramedic Empire. Last summer night, responding to a call in a rural area. My partner and I were driving down a winding two-lane highway in the middle of nowhere. No light of any kind other than the headlights and moon. We're coming up on a sharp right turn when I see a man traveling across the grass from an area of brush. He's moving very quickly and smoothly, as if hauling ass on a bicycle. No up and down motion like running. Obviously, I'm pretty confused about a hillbilly on a bike in the middle of the night, but not surprised. He comes to a tree and stops. It's about this time we're driving by him. Look out the window and see a man standing next to this tree with no bike or anything in sight. Just standing there staring at the truck passing by. My hair standing up. We continued towards the call and I asked my partner if he had seen that guy. His response is, Man, I thought I was crazy. I don't know what it was, but here are my thoughts on what I think it was. He could have been freakishly fast running. Maybe old school ghost rode or hit the bike, or I could just be a plain dumbass. Perhaps sleep deprived is a better description. What made it so freaky was the speed he floated across the grass and gravel, the abrupt stop, and then the stare. I've been doing this for years, and it's the only thing that could come close to extremely creepy and paranormal. Adding to the creep factor was that we were miles from any house, store, or bar. Not sure why, but I've been thinking about this happening all day from about this time in 2016, so I thought I would share it with you. In April of that year, I had done nine days on the Appalachian Trail, and it was truly life-changing. So I had the camping bug very bad. The whole year, I was hammock camping any possible chance that I got. The farm I grew up on sits up on a hill overlooking a creek bottom area where tobacco and soybeans are grown. An absolute beautiful area, and that creek looks more like a small river at times. This is an area where arrowheads are found often. Just a mile away, an Indian burial ground was excavated when I was in fourth grade, where the high school sits now. I remember it very well, and I was a half a mile walking distance from my home. Our driveway at one time had been a county road, but it dead-ended on our property, but who knows when that happened. At one time, it was a well-traveled route, probably back when the county was settled, originally at the very least. After all, it was only a mile as the crow flies from the county seat. The old road cuts deep into the hills, and there is a little offshoot gravel road that diverges off of it that goes down to the creek bottom in front of our house. I was feeling nostalgic and decided I was going to camp in the creek bottom at the end of the old gravel road. 
This is something we had done often in that general area growing up, and it felt as familiar to me as the back of my hand. There was an old barn that stood there when I was a little kid, but it was long gone. I decided to make my camp on the opposite side of that road at the edge of the bottom, not even going as far in as we usually did. I made a little fire, sat at my hammock, and chewed on a snack I had brought with me. For some reason, I wasn't feeling all that comfortable. I was trying to settle down into the idea, but I was really ill at ease. Keep in mind, this is a place that is basically in my parents' front yard, maybe a quarter of a mile from their front door. I grew up here and have played in this very spot since I was a small child but I felt extremely uncomfortable. I did nine days on the Appalachian Trail without any feelings like what I was experiencing at that moment. I was determined to stay down there and laughed at myself. It was a pretty calm and quiet night. Then, all of a sudden, a big gust of wind blew through camp. Out of complete nowhere and calm, it made no sense. I was basically surrounded by a camp of trees nestled up against a hill at the corner of the bottom. It was really odd for a gust of wind to come in where I was. If you could see the topography, you would understand what I am saying. Then I really started to feel a heavy sense of foreboding. I felt like I wasn't alone and that I was being watched. I was still trying to rationalize it out when all of a sudden... I heard a few deep snorts that sounded as if they were in my general vicinity, at the most 15 feet away. But I heard no footsteps, no rustling, just snorts. I thought to myself it had to be a buck, but why didn't I hear it moving? The hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up, and I decided it was time to go. I packed up everything, doused the fire, and immediately walked up the hill. I felt like the whole time I was taking camp down, that something was very agitated with me, and I had to get out of there immediately. It was a very intense feeling, and it didn't subside, until I was at least 50 feet away from where I was camped. It wasn't the only time I've had this kind of experience, but that's another story. I think I'm going to have to go back down there before long and figure out what in the world I heard that night. I was 14 and in the Boy Scouts, and we were on a canoeing trip down the Buffalo River in Arkansas. It was a six-day trip, and it was just our little crew of about ten boys and three adults. We had not seen anyone outside of our crew for days. We would canoe several miles and pick some random spot to sleep each night. This one night, me and a friend decided we were not going to sleep in the tent. We wanted to sleep in some hammocks by the river. I woke up sometime in the middle of the night, being eaten alive by mosquitoes, and decided that this was a stupid idea and began walking back to my tent that my tent buddy had set up and was sleeping in without me. The field we chose to camp on that night was quite large, so the tents were spread out very far apart. I am walking by one of the tents, and I see this shape huddled up next to it, and I assumed it was one of the boys' backpack, but it was oddly shaped and could have been a person. 
It was very dark and I couldn't see. For some reason, I decided to kick it while I was walking past it to make sure it was just a bag. When I kicked it, it grunted in pain. It surprised the shit out of me. You must understand that we were in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, so my first thought was that Adam, the guy who was supposed to be sleeping in that tent, was outside of it for some reason. So I knelt down beside him and asked, What are you doing out here? The man replied, I like you people. That's when my heart nearly exploded out of my chest. This was a complete stranger. This was not Adam. Fear seized me. I noticed he had a knife and a sheath on his belt loop. I was trying my best to stay calm. I will never understand why I thought I needed to get that knife away from him. I should have run screaming, but I didn't want to alarm him. I went to grab the knife and he grabbed my arm and said, You need to go to bed. I said, Okay, and got up and walked the remaining 100 or so feet to my tent. I woke up my tent mate, damn near hysterical, just knowing he was going to come at any second and kill us. I woke him up and told him the story, and he being much braver than me, he went out there and walked around, and when he came back, he said he didn't see anyone, and he thought I was making the whole thing up. The next morning, he woke me up and told me the adults wanted to talk to me. I walk out of the tent and I can see people's shit just strewn everywhere. Apparently the guy, whoever he was, was going outside each tent and going through the backpacks looking for stuff to steal. That's what I'm guessing. One of the adults had an expensive camera missing. The adults went and searched for signs that someone else was on this part of the river, but never found anyone or anything. To date, that is the scariest moment of my life, and though I am 36 years old and my wife mocks me, I still sleep with a nightlight on. Before I begin, I would like to say this is my first time sharing this story with anyone. This situation scared the hell out of me, and I'm never, ever able to go back into those woods without carrying a firearm and feeling creeped out. My husband, child, and I live out in the middle of nowhere, on a plot of land that's about 100 acres. I'd say probably 95 of those acres are wilderness, with ATV and hiking trails that we, and several of the previous owners, created by exploring. We use that land for camping, hiking, and hunting. We like to find a spot, clear it a bit, and camp overnight. There's so much space, we've never stayed in the same place twice. We've seen some kill sites, both old and fresh. Lots of animal tracks, places where deer bed down, etc. I've even spent a lot of time hiking solo while the kid is in school and husband's at work. Whether alone or with family, we always carry a firearm for protection. A few weeks ago, we decided to load up our camping gear and start a new trail. We marked the trails we make with spray paint on trees. We were pretty far in the woods, having hiked almost an hour when the atmosphere seemed to change. 
I don't know who noticed it first, but my husband, who was leading the three of us, turned around and gave me a concerned look. The birds had stopped chirping. The insects had gone quiet. There were no sounds around us. When in the woods, complete quiet is rarely a good thing. We continued onward, hyper-aware of our surroundings while our kid continued merrily talking. We came to the stream that marks the midway point of our property. We stopped for a few minutes, my husband and I in a stare-down with each other. We both felt something was off, but didn't want to scare our daughter. I finally broke the silence and said I suddenly didn't feel good and that we should go home. Now. My husband nodded in agreement while our daughter voiced her protest. Too bad, kiddo. We turned around and started back. After going a few hundred yards, still in silent wilderness, I looked to my right and saw a person crouched down in a ghillie suit about 150 feet off our trail. I'm positive they saw that I noticed them, but they never moved. I cleared my throat to get my husband's attention, and when he looked back, I put my hand on the gun in the holster on my hip, which caused him to readjust his rifle in preparation of anything. I sped up my family and we hurried back home. I told my husband as soon as we were inside. We decided to call the police and report the trespasser filed a report and was told to call again if we saw anyone. A few days later, my husband and I went out alone and set up a bunch of deer cams. We didn't go back out into the woods for maybe a week. Then, he and I ventured out to retrieve the cam footage. Out of the nine cameras we placed, we caught a person in a ghillie suit in two images. We handed copies over to the cops to go with our report. We haven't gone back out since, except to check the deer cams. Haven't gotten any other trespassers. It freaks me out even more to think of the few times, while camping, that we heard walking near our tent in the middle of the night. We also assumed it was a curious animal, but now I'm not so sure. When I was a theater study student in the Midlands of England, we had to take our little theater company on tour around the local rural countryside as part of the practical side of the course. Being a proper London girl, I wasn't best pleased with the prospect of roughing it in a ten-person band. There were fifteen of us in the company. But for the sake of my art, I stopped being a silly tart and threw myself into it with enthusiasm. One day, we broke down literally in the middle of nowhere. By the time the double-A bloke got to us, and in turn, by the time we got to the campsite, all the spaces in the campsite had been taken. We had three performances locally the next day. It had gone 8 p.m., and it was almost pitch dark. We didn't have many options left open to us. One director said it would be best if we drove the van into the near forest and all sleep in the van for the night. And, as it was too late to continue driving around and having an early start the following day, we reluctantly agreed. We found a quiet part of the forest that was open with not many trees, and by 9.30, we were settled in the van, if a little too cramped and cold. 
We were all 19 and 20 year olds and it was a big adventure. At around 11.30, I was stirred awake by one of my colleagues screaming and another bloke saying, This is so bad, we are so screwed. To my complete horror though, my sleep blurred eyes, I saw that our little band was completely surrounded by about 50 men, dressed in what appeared to be old-fashioned rural farming clothes, with homemade torches all burning brightly. I started panicking but didn't scream. I couldn't take my eyes off the men. They weren't moving an inch, didn't have an expression on their faces, not even when we bibbed the horn at them. Two of the blokes even got out of the van and shouted at the men, to the total horror of everyone else. Still, nothing. Needless to say, we were all terrified. Every time we tried to move the van, the men moved a step forward. At 1.30, all the men suddenly just turned around and walked away through the trees. We were absolutely knackered, too tired to drive anywhere else, so we took turns in keeping watch in case the men came back, but they never did. This was something I really had a hard time coming to grips with that happened to me when I was 13 years old. Back when I lived in Houston, Texas, I lived in the suburbs. It was a nice, bustling area, and I was always around people, whether in the apartment complex I was in or just going about my day. I was never truly alone. I had a good friend I still frequently talked to. Let's call her Sarah. Her grandmother lived in Louisiana. I had never been one for long road trips, but I thought having a nice girls weekend with her would be fun, and I would bite the bullet and try and enjoy myself for this car ride with her parents, me, and her in a stinky old minivan. Her grandma wasn't the nicest, but she liked me well enough, I think. We were out in the middle of the woods. She was extremely close to the Kasachi National Forest, so the homes were spread far apart and the woods were vast the middle of nowhere. Her grandma had a thing for people being too close to her, so my friend and I were out in the woods, playing and exploring these dense woods behind her property. There was a nice creek, and the trees seemed to muffle the outside world. There were birds chirping, and we saw lots of wildlife, lizards, squirrels, chipmunks, etc. This forest was crawling with life. It was absolutely amazing. We must have been out there for at least two hours, because as the sun was starting to set, we started to get antsy to return back. Now, her grandma has a huge property. She enjoyed her space, and you must understand, there were no houses or neighbors beside her. She basically spent a fortune on her space. So anyways, we start back and follow the winding creek back up to her house since it was vertical to her place. There's a noise behind us, and it sounded like a dog or wolf. I stopped and my friend did too, and we listened. The noise continued. There's nothing more terrifying than absolute silence and actually hearing something behind you, following you. We were a ways away, but we both were frozen in fear. I was expecting it was a coyote or some wild dog, but as the footsteps from the dark drew closer, 
I heard a ragged breath that sounded less dog and more almost human. It started off quiet, but it grew louder and almost ravenous as it got closer. I slowly turned around as my vision adjusted to the dark. Now it sounded like something was dragging its legs through the leaves. Then it stopped. There was more silence. Nothing. No sounds. No panting. Nothing. We were both petrified. We were scared now to move even an inch, because whatever it was that was with us was so close, it would surely outrun and overtake us. Then we both heard the most bizarre sound in our lives. It was a deep, long moan, and it took us both by surprise. I managed to take a quick look at whatever it was. The sound was coming from a tree a couple of feet from my friend, and I saw it. One hand was gripping the tree, and through the dusk, I could see paler, pale skin and the eyes. I'll never forget those eyes. They were wide and the mouth was gaping like a dead fish. I didn't have time to analyze if it was a man, a woman, demon, or whatever. I just wanted to get the hell out of the woods. The sound stopped as I locked eyes with it. I felt my heart stop. My friend managed to tear herself out of her trance we were both in and grab my arm, and we booked it. We both started screaming and yelling to hopefully scare whatever was after us off. Neither of us heard any noises behind us since we were so pumped on adrenaline, running and screaming, running and screaming. We didn't stop till we slammed the back door and locked it. Not ten minutes after we got back, I demanded to go back home, and my friend was just as shaken up since both of us refused to stay in that house. So, we got a hotel at a nice nearby place, and I left the next day. I tried to be in a good mood the rest of the time I was there, and honestly, it was a great trip, other than that walk in the woods. Her grandmother actually died two days after we left. Being alone on a crazy big property like she was on, I was surprised a neighbor a couple of miles from her came to even check on her. We were not sure how she passed away, but my friend and I have our suspicions and still do. When I was working as a backpacking guide in western North Carolina, my schedule dictated a full eight-day shift with six days off. During those six days, myself and other co-workers would play in the woods. In the summer, you can't beat a mountain swimming hole. One of our favorites was called Paradise Falls, alternately called Wolf Creek Falls. This is a cliff-jumping spot with a huge swimming area, a tiny slot canyon, and an inner pool. Most will venture to do the small jump into the inner pool. Even though it's the smallest jump, it's arguably the least accessible. Even though the jump is 9 feet at most, you must work through a 10-minute rock scramble to get to the top of it. We were all venturing in and from outside the tiny canyon, you can't see the main pool. Well, we got to the jump and coaxed the first person off, a fellow guide who had never been to the spot before. She jumped successfully and swam out into the main pool and beach area. And then she screamed. 
Because she was now out of sight, myself and another guide jumped in together and swam the short distance to her, with the others in tow. Of course we figured she was injured somehow. She was treading water and just staring wide-eyed at the river bank. When I looked to the shore, there stood a man. He was massively large, easily six foot six and a little change. He wore beat-up overalls and no shirt. There didn't appear to be a hair on him. Perhaps the most disturbing was that he had folds of skin all over his body. Imagine the Michelin man, but made of flesh. His face, his arms, chest, everything had a uniform layer of shingled fat rolls and he was brandishing a shotgun. The area around Wolf Creek is just holler after holler, and there are a few residences, and those few have been there for generations, propagated by the same families. These people don't like outsiders, and so they keep relations within the family. I could only surmise that this individual was the product of inbreeding over decades. He just stood there and watched as we scrambled to grab anything important and stuff it in a bag. He just stood and watched as we hightailed it out of that basin and back toward the parking area. He never said a word. I want to start this out by saying weird stuff has happened all of my life. But this one is the only one of two that has had me scared for my life. I was 16 at the time and at a small hunting camp near the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. The camp has a fairly large pond when you drive in. The camp itself is one large circle with a couple of branching roads. When you come in, you can go straight and up by some old growth pine with nothing growing at the bottom, and nestled in is a little shack. To the left will take you by the pond, and you can continue onto the road and circle up the mountain where it links with the other road. I have a place on this side about two and a half miles from the pond. At about 10 p.m. one night, I decided I wanted to go catfishing, so I loaded up my four-wheeler with a tackle road mining hat with light and a hatchet for any snakes and drove down to the pond on the rocky dirt road. I get down there about 10.30 and my first line is out. Where I'm at has a wooded area to my right that is a thicket of blackberry bushes and a path cut through to another fishing spot with the road to my left and back down in a little dip. I fished for about an hour and a half, only catching a one little fish when I felt eyes on me and heard a branch snap. Now I've been in the woods my whole life at this point, so I grab my hatchet and set it on my lap and keep an eye in the woods a little bit I could with how thick it was, thinking it was at worst a coyote or a black bear. About 30 uneasy minutes pass never really feeling the eyes leave me. Then suddenly, the air was thinned and everything felt normal. About ten more minutes pass, and I hear a loud skittering of lefts, and a thud come from the direction of the old pine growth. Thinking one of the drunks out of there had gotten out and fell, I got up and made my way up and over the bank past the little shed into the old growth, scanning back and forth with my light mounted to the hard hat when it happened. 
In the very edge of the light was a pale humanoid figure on all fours. Its eyes darted to mine and we locked eyes, it being in the edge of the light and I didn't get a good look at them, but I froze, complete terror running through me, knowing that if I turned my back to it to run, it might react like a cougar and pounce. I readied the hatchet to defend myself and took a step back. It took one equal in distance to mine towards me. This continued down the bank, it stopping at the top to gaze down at me. Without taking my eyes off of it or turning my back to it, I turned on the four-wheeler and angled the lights to it. After I do that, I pack my stuff, not turning my back and hop on. I floor the four-wheeler at it, making it back up and tore down the road to the left, hitting 30 to 40 down the road. I normally take 15. I look over my shoulder to see this freaking thing running, on all fours, beside me. This went on for half a mile until it stopped, crawling into the middle of the road, and watched me ride off. I get to camp, get in as fast as I possibly can, load my 243 hunting rifle, and sat in the corner of my room, not daring to sleep that night. The moral of the story here is, don't turn your back and run from unknown monsters, unless they come at you first, and don't go catfishing alone. My aunt, my brother, and my cousin and I were visiting our grandparents' house in Washington. They lived in a pretty remote area, with only a handful of other houses around, and a good chunk of forest between each of them. Keep in mind, it's also kind of an island, so they don't get many funky creatures there. My aunt and I went out while it was dark outside, just walking the path in the forest and trying to figure out what was making a loud noise. Not a weird one, just a normal forest sound. I said frogs and she said crickets. I turned out to be right. When we reached the clearing, I started immediately getting a bad feeling. I figured, you know, it's dark. I'm typically terrified of the dark. And I'm tired, but nothing is really going to happen. The path was a bit overgrown around there, so we decided to turn back. Right before we did, though, I caught a glimpse of what could have been a really big owl up in one of the trees, just staring right at us. Now, I am an Arizona girl, so I don't know what creatures are normal in the forest, but this thing just didn't feel right to me. It just gave me a weird vibe. But my aunt kept walking, and I caught up. Keep in mind, the path was pretty short, and it only takes about 10-ish minutes to get to the clearing and 10 minutes to walk back. But when we got closer to the house, we heard my grandmother yelling for us. We run back to the house, and she says we've been gone for hours. We swear we had only been out for, at most, half an hour. And when my brother and cousin came back, they tell us they had been out looking for us. We checked the time, and sure enough, they were right. Another interesting thing that could be connected... A few days before that, we had heard some really funky noises coming from the woods while we were out making s'mores. Even my grandparents, who had lived there longer than I've been alive, admitted that it was unlike anything they had ever heard. It continued getting closer and closer, 
and stopped any time someone tried to get video of it. Eventually, I had to go inside because it was freaking me out so bad. Everything could probably be explained, but the time loss thing really still gets to me. I'm curious, what are your opinions? I was driving a shortcut from 29 Palms, California to Albuquerque, New Mexico. 29 Palms is located in the desolate high desert east of LA. The shortcut was completely a two-lane road through total nothingness, except for passing through Amboy, California. Amboy is a nearly abandoned town, nearly as far below sea level as Death Valley, with a dormant volcano and lava field on one side and a salt flat on the other. It was also, at the time, a hotspot for satanic group activity. So, I was driving by myself in the afternoon. I stopped in Amboy and snapped a picture of the city sign, just to prove I was there to friends who dared me to take that route to I-40. I got in my car and proceeded to drive up into the mountain range between Amboy and I-40. Once I reached the top, I am driving north through a canyon with high grass on both sides of the road. Up ahead, I see stuff in the middle of the road. As I approach, I slow down to see a red Pontiac Fiero stopped sideways across both lanes, a suitcase open with clothes scattered everywhere, and two bodies laying face down in the road, a man and a woman. I stop a hundred feet or so away, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. Being a marine, I reach under the seat and pull out a 9mm pistol and chamber around. Something seemed very wrong. It looked too perfect, as if it were stage. An ambush, maybe? Or was I being paranoid? Something was just wrong. Getting out of the car seemed unthinkable. It was the horror movie move. As I scanned the road, I saw a line I could drive. Past the guy in the road on his left, swerve to the right side of the woman, behind the Fiero, and I'd be on the other side. I dropped it into first gear, punched it, and drove the line I planned. I passed the back of the Fiero without hitting it or either of the bodies in the road. I continued forward a couple hundred feet and slowed down so I could breathe and let my heart rate slow down. As I looked up into the rearview mirror, I saw that the two bodies had gotten up to their knees and twenty or so people emerged from the tall grass on either side of the road by the car and bodies. At that moment, my right foot smashed the gas pedal to the floor and did not let up until I had to slow down for the I-40 east on-ramp. I will never know what would have happened to me had I gotten out of the car to check on the bodies or stop my car closer to them. Somehow, I do not think it would have been good. Sometimes a life can be scarier than a horror movie. My significant other grew up in a house built in the 1800s, set sort of in the middle of a forest. The closest neighbor was miles and miles away. It was literally in the middle of nowhere. All his life, he had a hinky feeling about the coal cellar, a tiny little room off of the furnace room. When it came time to sell, 
our contractor and friend, asked if we wanted the slats pulled up in that room and a new cement floor poured. We said sure, and they pulled up the slats, only to find a much newer concrete slab had been poured underneath. Some things are better left undisturbed, I guess. Everyone who spent time in that house saw or heard things. It was mostly completely benign, like every time I passed by his parents' room, I saw out of the corner of my eye two or three people in older dress standing in the room. Then I heard another friend who had house set for us say the same thing. I even took down the drapes and rearranged the room, thinking it was a trick of the light and shadow. Nothing helped. Same friend staying alone there said he was awakened by people shouting at him. I'm glad that never happened to me. Probably the weirdest thing when my significant other was getting ready to sell the house, remodeling the kitchen, selling off the antiques, etc. He was standing near the fireplace with an antiques dealer, near stranger, and there was a largish, four-foot, carved wooden horse mounted above it. It had been there for 40, maybe 50 years. Suddenly, the horse jumps about three feet from the wall to land at their feet. It wasn't like the nail finally loosened and the horse fell down. It probably jumped away from the wall. Pretty freaky. Probably the most disturbing was when my father-in-law was pushed down the stairs. The basement was creepy enough. A warren of rooms ranging from the furnace room, the coal cellar, what must have been the wine cellar, etc., but that's where my father-in-law had his workshop set up. The stairs were steep and a bit treacherous. My significant other and I were living elsewhere, as was my father-in-law, but he still used the workshop on occasion. As he claims, one night he was going down the stairs and felt a hand on his back push him down the stairs. He broke his leg, which took over six months to heal. I might discount this if this was someone inclined to woo, but my father-in-law was an atheist and a scientist. Still to this day, we are trying to figure out what is haunting this house we own. Well, where should I start? Let's set the background first. I grew up in a very rural area. My parents have a pretty big piece of land with a nice two-story farmhouse in the middle of it. To the south of the house is a peach orchard. The west is where the driveway is. It goes through an alley of cottonwood and pecan trees, but the land is pretty open and was used for cattle farming. The east and north is dense woodland and shrubs, which reaches all the way to our neighbors, about two miles away. Back then, I was working at a carpenter shop in town. I had just gotten my driver's license, and so I was able to get there on my own. It was an hour and a half drive, though. We started fairly late in the day, at about 10 a.m. The owner of the company was sort of a night owl and loved to sleep in, but because of that, we had to stay until 9 p.m. That was no problem in the summer, but turned out to be a bit of an annoyance in the winter as it got dark pretty early and I hate driving in the dark because the lights on my car weren't the best anymore. I drove a 1987 Chevy pickup, which had obviously seen better days. 
I hadn't had much money back then, so this was all I could afford. So one day in late December, about 10 or 11 years ago, I left work much later than usual. I had made a pretty stupid mistake on a nightstand I was building for a customer and needed to fix it, as the customer was going to pick it up the next day. There are two routes I can take to get home. One is on a highway. The other one is through backcountry and dirt roads, surrounded by thick brush and trees. I usually took the highway, as it was much faster and safer, especially in the dark. But this day, there had been an accident and the highway was blocked by emergency services, so I took the long way home. As soon as I left the main road and made my way up the dirt trails, I got this feeling, you know, the one, as if something bad is about to happen, almost like impending doom. The longer I drove on the road, the stronger the feeling got, until it felt like all of my body and soul was aching, desperately to turn around, drive back all the way to the roadblock and wait until it got opened again. I tried to suppress it as best as I could and tried to convince myself that I had driven this route many times and I know that it is safe, albeit a bit rough on the truck. When I was driving through an especially rugged piece of brush about 10 miles away from my parents' farm, all of a sudden, my left front tire popped. I did my best to keep the truck on the road and made it to a safe stop. I kept a spare tire in the toolbox and had changed tires quite a lot on my own, so I know it would be just a minor inconvenience and I could be rolling again in a matter of minutes. That's where I was wrong. I climbed up the truck's bed only to find that my toolbox had been broken into and all of my tools and my spare tire had been stolen. So there I was, still miles away from the nearest settlement, in bear and wolf country, in the middle of the night with no cell phone and no way to repair my truck. I always kept a sort of survival kit in my toolbox, with a blanket, a small axe, a fire starter kit, and some MREs. But... It had gotten stolen, too. Thank God I still had my trusty puko knife my sister gave me when she moved to Finland. So I made the second, but bigger, mistake on this day. I decided to walk home. To this day, I still don't know why I made this decision. All I had to do was wait in my truck until sunrise, as I knew a neighbor was driving this road every day at around 8 a.m. He could have taken me to town and called my parents to get the truck but some stupid fart in my brain said, Nah, to hell with it. I'm walking home. So on I went. I locked the car, took my rucksack with my belongings with me, and started walking. I couldn't have walked far when I got this eerie feeling like something, or somebody, was watching me. I turned around, but nothing was there. I picked up my pace to make it out of there. All of a sudden, I heard some rustling in the brushes to my left. I called out, if there is somebody there, but of course I got no answer. The feeling of being watched got stronger and stronger, and the rustling got more frequent, when suddenly the brush stopped and I came to a small clearing. That's when he spoke to me for the first time. Hey there, boy. He had a pretty weird pronunciation. The first part was softly spoken, almost gently, and the boy was like an explosion to my ears. 
He made a tiny pause in between, then spewing out boy. He was big. I guess around six foot six inches. He wore a long trench coat and a hat. Gray, short hair and lifeless eyes. Almost like a dead fish. But what really scared me was his dog. He had a huge black shepherd-like dog, but it looked very wild. Almost like a wolf. I immediately froze in fear. I always heard this term, but never imagined it being like this. I couldn't move. I just couldn't. I tried, trust me. God, did I try. What you doing there, boy? He asked me. Don't you want to talk to me, boy? I still couldn't move a finger, but my mouth slowly started to work again. I told him about the truck and how I was trying to walk home, but I don't think he was able to understand a word I was saying, as I was stuttering and slurring my words because of fear. He made a few steps towards me, his dog fixating on me like prey. He came so close I could smell him, a very odd smell, a bit like old cigarettes, but there was something else I just couldn't point out. I still just stood there, unable to move. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes, almost like he wanted to remember the smell of fear radiating from me. He started to grin, not a genuine, honest grin, but the one where the eyes aren't involved. They stayed as lifeless as they were. Be careful out here, boy. There are a lot of dangerous things out of here. Boy, said he and vanished into the brush as suddenly as he had appeared. I started to thaw up and was able to move my body again finally. All of a sudden, my knees felt weak and wouldn't bear the weight of my body anymore. I collapsed to the ground and my whole body started to shake uncontrollably and I started to sob with relief. As soon as I had regained control over my body again, I started to run. I ran like I never did before, never again. I ran all the way home, which still was quite a long way. I can't describe the feeling of relief coming over me. When I saw the all-so-familiar porch lights coming up in the distance and I reached the edge of the woodlands on our property. Hey there, boy. My heart skipped a beat. I screamed in sheer terror, and I knew that this would be the end of my life, if I froze again. So I couldn't stop running. I ran and ran and ran and never even bothered to look back. Once I reached the warm yellow circles of light cast by our porch lamps, I dared to look back. He stood there on the edge of the woods, like he did on the clearing, his dog Wolf on a leash next to him. He grinned this creepy grin again. I fumbled out my keys as my parents locked the back door at 8 p.m., unlocked the door, and stumbled in. Only when I had locked the door, I started to feel remotely safe again. I went upstairs to my room and made sure that all the windows were locked on my way up. When I looked out of my window, he was gone. I told my dad about this when he got the truck the next day. He said this was likely Samuel, an old hermit who had a small cottage down there in the woods and had been living there for at least the last 30 years, but he has never seen him with his own eyes. So in retrospect, I was never in grave danger, I presumed, but nevertheless, 
I'm never walking through those woods again. A few years ago, my boyfriend worked in a warehouse that was out in the middle of nowhere, in between railroad tracks and the river. On one side of the warehouse, he had gotten done at work at around 8 p.m., right as the sun was setting. He was sitting outside waiting for his ride and talking to me on the phone. The conversation was normal, until I heard his tone change. My boyfriend isn't one to show his emotions, at all but I could instantly tell something was wrong. I asked what was going on and he explained that he thought he heard a baby crying from inside the woods. Now, I probably would have second-guessed and thought he was joking around because that's his personality, but the way he was talking, I could tell he was serious. The cries went on for a while and he said that they eventually turned into whales and it didn't sound like it was too far away. He disconnected our call, much to my dismay, and sent me an audio recording of what he was hearing. Sure as shit, there were sounds of a baby crying. He told me he was tempted to go into the woods and try to find the source of the sound, and I begged him not to. Something about it didn't feel right. Thankfully, his ride came to get him before he could step into the forest, I've heard these kinds of stories before, and many say that it's something, or someone, in the forest trying to lure people in with the sounds of a baby crying. But I just can't wrap my head around it. It honestly still gives me chills when I think about it to this day. Even my boyfriend doesn't talk about it much because I think it genuinely freaked him out. I guess I'm just curious to see what you all think of it. Last summer, my boyfriend and I were camping, somewhat remotely in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Presidential Range. The sites are well off the beaten path, not a campground, no water or electric, and are a tent only. Sites are half a mile to a mile apart, very deeply wooded and isolated. Without a vehicle, you'd have an hour or so walk to the nearest road. In spite of this, it's still a known area and frequented by campers and hikers, but it's still New Hampshire, so it's already very weird. Over the course of the summer, we made four trips to the same area. The last time was the most remote. With no restrooms, we used the woods. While most people take the general shit trail, you can tell where others have been, unfortunately. It really ruins my outdoor pooping experience, so I prefer to find my own new path. In doing so, I wandered a fair distance from our tent site through heavy woods, stopping at the edge of a big thicket of skinny pine trees. I could not have felt further away from civilization and people and crouching down, thought of myself as much as an animal as the ones I knew must be all around me but I couldn't see. It wasn't eerie, but rather hypnotic, just me and nature. I felt anything or anyone could be watching me, and I would never know. Right in front of me, as I was crouching down, I saw something strange, out of place for sure. 
two pine trees had been roughly chopped to about two feet stubs. These are skinny young trees, the type that break easily or can be pushed out of the ground in cold or mushy weather. Each stump was wrapped near the top with gray duct tape. A lot of it. My immediate thought was, something was tied up there and then the trees were chopped rather than unwrapping the tape. But why? And off of what? What was being held there? This was not the end of a trail. It was really in the middle of nowhere. Someone else would have found it in the same way I had. There would have not been room for a vehicle, or an ORB or dirt bike. This was someone in the woods that tied something up to these two trees, using a lot of tape. Suddenly, I feel the density of where I was and that I was within yelling distance of my boyfriend in our sight tent, but I wasn't alarmed. I could see it wasn't new, but the tape also wasn't faded or worn that much. I looked around the ground nearby and didn't see anything else with tape or signs that something had possibly been built there. It simply looked like something was tied between two trees with duct tape. And for some reason, the trees cut at the top above the wrapping, leaving two stumps somewhat resembling torches in the ground. Not burned, but that's the best way I can describe the appearance of this. The taped stumps were only about three feet apart, not very wide. Important to note, this would not be from hanging food or meat, or a kill from hunting a deer or something, high up between trees. If a person had been tied up there, it would seem they would have been in a sitting position. The tape was low to the ground, not high. I took my boyfriend back with me later to show him, and we both agreed we wouldn't come up with any explanation other than someone tied up between these trees. But what and why? And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true middle-of-nowhere stories. I do apologize that it is 30 minutes short, but I am running low on resources for these types of stories. So, if you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night. <laughs>